Good morning to everyone. Good morning. I want to welcome you to our Sunday morning worship service here at the Boomer Church of Christ. We uh, appreciate your attendance today. This is a day we assemble to worship God. And we are thankful that that's the top priority for you. We know that we have visitors today, particularly uh, during this holiday weekend. Worked out good that uh, with a weekend and on Monday. So we want you to know we are glad to have you visitor with us. We appreciate visitors at any time. If we can assist you in any way, please let us know. Uh, also, would you make sure that the Friendship Register is passed down your aisle, your pew. We want to have a record of everybody's visit today, so please do that for us. So at this time, let's have a prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the so beautiful day you blessed us with. We're thankful that you blessed us with our health that we can assemble here today. We're so thankful for each one that is here today to be part of this worship service, especially the visitors. We pray your blessing on them. We know we have people that has traveled to be here and be traveling back home. We pray for them as they do travel for their safety. And, and Father, we're thankful that uh, we can assemble and the freedom we enjoy to assemble to worship you. We pray that we always would have that in a safe way. Now this morning, Father, we pray that we would participate in this worship service as we should. And Father, we pray for Brother Ken as he stands before us today to bring the word to us. Pray your blessing upon him. And we're so thankful, Father, for the congregation of people we have here. We appreciate the love we see expressed between them and the much good work, the many good works that are being done by all of our people. We pray you continue to listen with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. First song this morning. Turn it off. Should it come on midstream? Morning will be Home of the Soul, number 875 in your books. If for the price we have striven after our labors roar, rest in our souls will be. Oh, 
next song is There is a Redeemer. After this song, we'll be led in prayer. There we go. Let's sing. There is a Father, as we've come together again on this beautiful day you've given us, we know that it is but a short time that we are here on this earth, a most precious time that you've given each and every one of us. Father, we know from the beginning, as you created all, that you have a plan and that we know that our choices in life means so much and then the experiences that we have mean so much may we take every minute of every day and do the right thing may we help those in need and may we say the right thing and may we take the right action 
Dear Father, we know that our time is limited, but we also know that eternity awaits. And we know that to go into eternity and be by thy side, that we must always do the right thing. And Father, we're so thankful that we are here at this time on this day, and we're so thankful that you sent your son here at that time so that now and forever we can share in eternity and be saved. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. That invitation song will be on the screen only. Will Jesus find us watching at the appropriate time? And now it will sing our God is alive. If it is convenient for you, we ask you to stand as we sing this song. <clears throat> Let's all sing. There is beyond the Be reading. 
from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Good morning again. Thank you for being here today. And yes, I know we have several visitors, and we are really honored that you're part of our assembly today. We consider ourselves to be God's family here. And so this is something we're expecting the family to do, to meet on the first day of the week. We enjoy being together. And I hope, I hope that rubs off on you if you're visiting today that you'll enjoy being with us too. And when you have the opportunity to come back, I hope it'll just be a natural choice on your part to come and be with us in this fellowship. On Wednesday evening, after the service was dismissed, many of you had gone home already, but Davis Foster was added to the body of Christ. It, it happened right there. She was baptized by her father, but she was added to the Lord's church by Jesus himself. And it was amazing to be here and to see her go from death to life, to be translated from unrighteousness to righteousness, to rise up with a new life. That was just if you were here, wasn't that just the most amazing thing to witness? On that occasion, she was freed from sin and death. A lot of you have gone through that process, I know. And so, even if you were not here to witness it, you know what that is. It's such a great experience. And that's not the last time we're going to see that, is it? No, it is not. We look forward to more of those. Today, I want to I wanna share with you what I believe is the true birth of freedom. That is when freedom truly originated. Now, I know our July 4th celebrations tomorrow, it's all about our independence and that independence is something that Americans hold as a precious thing. We believe that our freedom is worth fighting for. And then, of course, by extension, if it's worth fighting for, then that means that we are willing to die for it. Many have died and many continue to die in the protection of that freedom. So... I hope that those thoughts will be foremost in your mind as you think about Independence Day. But I want to share with you the original. Before we start that, let's pray to God together. 
Our Father in heaven, thank you for the blessing of this new day. Thank you for the privilege it is to assemble in this building, in this room. It's large enough to take all of us in, to be comfortable in our seats, to participate in this worship of you. And now specifically in an act of worship that requires our attention, our meditation. I pray that your word will be alive in us today and that it will make its place with us. And Lord, I pray that you'll help me specifically to communicate in some understandable terms the true birth of freedom, that which originates with you. And then help me, Lord, also to communicate the fact that there is a newfound kind of freedom that's found in, in Jesus. Lord, help me not only to communicate that, but bless those who hear it today that they'll be able to grasp what I intend with it and, more importantly, what you intend with it and that it will bear some fruit in all of our lives today. Thank you, Lord, for blessing us that way and for aiding us in our attempt to worship you in spirit and in truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'll just ask the question, from whence does freedom come? Where does it originate? We talk a lot about it. In the preamble to the Declaration of Independence, you know that that text says that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That text there, which as Americans we hold well nigh sacred, unchangeable, is the idea that here are some things that, you know, probably we don't need to say, but we're going to put them in writing anyway, because in a lot of places they've been taken for granted, but let's just state it anyway. Let's put this out on the table. There are some things that are just self-evident. There are some things that are right and exist no matter what anybody says, these are going to be true. And he says, among them, one, all men are created equal. And they've been endowed by their Creator. That is, the Creator has blessed them with this. They have a right, among many other rights, but they have a right to pursue life and liberty and even happiness. Everybody ought to be unrestrained in regard to those pursuits. He says, it's self-evident. Everybody knows that. Everybody should experience equality. And everybody should experience the freedom to do as they choose to do. Okay, great text. That's one that fires us up as Americans 
We talk a lot about being free. Don't hold me back. I'm free to do it. Don't take my freedoms. On and on we go. Every article, every, every consideration we are very passionate about. We like our freedom in this country. That text goes on to, again, probably didn't need to be stated, but given the situation that they were in, they thought it best to make it black and white and to make a point, and they go on to assert the fact that even a government, a government only possesses its powers as they are conferred by those who are governed. In other words, a government only truly exists to govern as far as those who are governed allow them to govern. Now, you and I know of examples throughout the world that exist even today where you have someone sitting in a position of power who just dominates. Their word is law. And forget about the freedoms and the exercise of God-given rights. They're going to assert their own will on their people. Okay, but that's not what we have. We have a declaration that says, you and I, we're free, and we have, we have a word in all of this. I, I guess that's what makes us feel good as Americans. We feel like no matter what, we should have our say. A little bit later in time, specifically November the 19th, 1863, in an address at Gettysburg, Abraham Lincoln said that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. Now, contextually, that had to do with the Civil War and the change in mind and practice, even to the extent of history. What we are today has to do with the turns and the twists of politicians. It has to do with the turns and the twists of laws that are put forth and then set down. It it is an ongoing battle between that which dictates law and that which has the desire to be free. And so Lincoln was just expressing what most people express all the time. You know, let's just stop right now where we are and let's, let's, let's start anew. Let's have a new birth of this freedom that we desire. Let's just hit the reset button and start all over. Oh, if we could do that, right? If, if we had the, the true freedom to be able to stop where we are and to begin anew. To know that all that was behind us can be, I don't know, somehow erased. And that the slate ahead of us, yes, it is free to do as we choose, but we're going to choose to do differently this time. We're going to choose to do right before God. So I ask the question, where does freedom come? Is it true, as even these political documents announce, that it is God who gives freedom? And if it is God who initially bestows or endows man with freedom, then is it true also, as we 
often assert and we demonstrate, certainly militarily, but even people in their own hearts and minds, just asserting their freedoms as Americans. Is it true that freedom is worth dying for? Taking the next step. You know, if God's going to bestow freedom or offer an opportunity for freedom, and if there exists that moment when I can truly hit that reset button and have a new birth of freedom, is it possible then that, well, even that kind of freedom, well, that really sets us and our slate clean, is, is that something worth dying for? Freedom is divinely given. I'll just assert that from the very beginning. And I want to use our text from Genesis 1, 26, 27 to kind of be the basis of that assertion. So God says, let us make man in our image according to our own likeness. And he gives man dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man according to his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female. He created them. I guess right there initially is a demonstration about freedom, not yet really introduced. All we know up until this point is that God speaks and things are created. But here in this text, as regards man, God makes an interesting statement. He says, let us, let us make man in our image. Let us do this. The sense of letting us or let me do this is the full expression of what freedom is all about. Okay, at this juncture, I I choose to do something. And here is what I'm going to do. So God creates man in his likeness, and he gives him dominion. The word dominion actually is a word within the realm of the idea of reigning. So God is the supreme creator, but when he creates man, he puts him in a position essentially of reigning over all that God had created. But there is this nuance to man who has been created. And then, of course, he references what will be dealt with in detail in Genesis chapter 2, and that is that man was created in two forms, both male and female. That God created them according to his own likeness. And among other things that we might discuss regarding likeness, apparently, as the story goes on, also has to do with a sense of freedom. In the very next chapter, chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, God's in conversation with man, and he tells him, his boundaries. Now understand, he's already given him dominion over everything that exists. But then he says this. He says, of all these trees that are here in the garden, you may freely eat from those. 
But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. Now understand that in this garden, you go back a few verses to verse 9, there are all kinds of trees. In fact, he describes most of the trees that produce fruit in this garden as being, to our experience, good for food and pleasant to the eyes. Almost every tree in that garden, including one that he specifically mentions, and that is the tree of life. And you know that tree of life becomes so significant in this story that because of its existence and access to it, that because of sin, Adam and Eve have to depart from the garden. And that tree especially is protected so that they can no longer access it for fear that they might partake of that fruit and live forever. The only, the only opportunity that we have is that in the end, in the resurrection, when we are able to assemble in heaven and to live there forever and ever, that we also once again have access to the tree of life. But there are all of these trees that are good for food and pleasant to the eyes. There is this tree of life that is there, but that one tree in the midst of of all of these other possibilities is the only thing that God says, do not eat from this tree. Don't do it. Okay, so I, I told you that we were coming to these texts to see something about our, our freedom. So, in the beginning, God creates man according to his image, after his likeness. Uh, among the other things we stated is his freedom. Freedom is given an example there in chapter 2. And here was the example. You can do whatever you want to with regard to food. Eat whatever you want. But don't eat this fruit. Here's what I want you to know about freedom. You you don't have freedom if you have no choices. (laughs) Okay? You are free to choose so long as you only choose this and there are no other options. That, That is not freedom. Freedom is when there is an opportunity to make another choice. Here in the garden, all kinds of stuff that is good for you. You choose that. But you have freedom to choose something that's not good for you. And I'm just telling you, God says, if you choose in your freedom to eat that fruit, you are going to die. That's what is going to happen. So not only did man have freedom to choose because there was an alternative, but also God gave man the right choice. Okay, I'm not telling you what to do. You can make your own choice. You can choose to live here forever in this garden, eating that tree of life if you want to, enjoying all of this fruit. Or you can choose to eat from that one tree that I've told you not to and you'll have death. You choose. You have the freedom to make that decision. God gave the right kind of guidance. Eat the right fruit and don't die. (laughs) You know, God loves us. 
And God set man in a practically indescribable environment, something to be hard for us to imagine, and has everything going for I've given you dominion over everything. I've put you in charge. Only don't choose this in your freedom. Jeremiah said, way after this event, Jeremiah 10, verse 23, he said, Oh Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. That, that is not saying that man doesn't know how to choose right. Man does know how to choose right. The thing is, man doesn't know what's best for him oftentimes. And so when he chooses, it just seems like, am I wrong about this? It seems like more often than not, he just, he slips into something that's bad for him and is filled with regret that ultimately because of sin will bring death. Initially, initially as regards freedom, God was gracious as giving and, and expressing of opportunity as anybody could possibly have been in creating this world and placing His crowning creation there in the midst of it and giving Him dominion. Just choose the right thing. Freedom, yeah, it, it is divinely given, but freedom is also, well, it's responsibly received. Again, thinking about chapter 2 now, the illustration, the example, verses 16 and 17. You eat this, not that. So what does man do? Chapter 3, verse 6. So after a conversation with a manifestation of Satan in the body of a serpent, which don't you think Eve should have been scratching her head at that point? <laughs> just, just saying. But after this conversation, so here is Eve, and she's looking at this. Here's what Satan has communicated to her. Yeah, you know, that fruit and God's promise. Yeah, God did... Just as you say, he, he said that if you eat of this fruit, the day that you eat of it, you'll surely die. But he says, I'm here to tell you, you're not going to die. The problem here is that God doesn't want you to eat that because, you know, it's the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the day that you eat that fruit, you'll know good and evil. You'll be like God. So you know how it is with children. You say, don't touch that. And while you're standing there, they may not touch it, but what are they looking at the whole time? <laughs> you know, they're, they're looking at that thing. And they're thinking about it. And they can't get it out of their mind. And even if you take them away from it for a while, you think, oh, this is clever of me. I'll get their mind off of it. They'll forget all about it. They do not. As soon as we're back in the presence of it, we're now wondering how is it I can have that, which I'm told I can't have, that I'm, I'm to abstain from. They will find a way to get it or to get close to it. I told my son one time, don't go to the top of the steps. What did he do? He sat down on the first step. And then as I walked around the room, I noticed he up two or three steps. Now, don't go up those steps. No, Daddy, no, no. Of course, no, 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 no. 
As soon as I went out of the room, guess where he went? Right to the top of the steps. Eve, don't eat this fruit. You can eat any, any other fruit you want to eat. This garden's full of trees with fruit to eat that have, according to chapter 2, verse 9, they have something you want. When you look at those, they're good for food and they're pleasant to the eyes. All of them are. That ought to satisfy you. But here's the problem with chapter 3 and verse 6. It was what Satan planted in her mind. When she looked at that fruit, she looked at it and she was like, yeah, you know, it is like all these other fruits that I can freely eat. It looks like it's good for food. And it is pleasant to the eyes. But what Satan said is also true. And I can't get this out of my mind. It is desirable to make me wise. And so she took that fruit and she ate it and she gave it to her husband and he ate it. Satan said, you're not going to die from this. And you know, I read this text just like you do. And I realize that there's an interesting thing that happens in response to the eating of this fruit and the handing down of judgments that takes place in chapter 3 of Genesis. What's interesting about that is that there are two entities that are affected before we ever even get to Adam and Eve. There's the serpent and the ground. Both of those are punished. They're effectively destroyed. They are cursed in the very moment of the judgment. The serpent is cursed and the ground is cursed. What I find interesting about all that is that they are treated immediately for their involvement in the sin and Adam and Eve, yeah, they are disciplined in the moment, but the curse is not immediate. The curse comes sometimes later. In fact, it's couched in future terms. You, God says, you are going to toil. You're going to express a lot of labor. You, woman, you're going to be in pain and childbearing. The initial punishment, the discipline that I'm going to dish out to you is I'm going to bring toil and pain to you. I'm going to separate you from this garden so that you don't have access to the tree of life. And the curse of death will come. Uh, not right now, but it's coming. I've always just had a big old question mark right there. I mean, if I'm being honest, and I know all kinds of things that unfold through history and, and ultimately about the perils of life and death and the grasping of what it is that Adam did and the second Adam in Jesus and all of that. But you can't help but just get in the moment with everybody who's involved and begin to think, well, you know, in some ways, Satan wasn't totally, completely wrong. 
They didn't die right there on the spot, drop dead. No, that curse was, it was delayed. In the book of Romans, chapter 5, beginning at verse 3, the Apostle Paul talks, well, let's just be honest here. He talks about toil and pain. The toil and pain of being a minister of the gospel, the pain and suffering that one endures when he's just trying to do his work for the Lord. He says, but you know what we've come to do? We've come to accept that. Why would we accept that? Well, the fact is that as good as your life might be, the fact is that if it hadn't been for sin and us as a human family being separated from the tree of life, we wouldn't have any perils at all. You know, it'd be an idyllic life in which we have dominion over everything. But so what we accept is that, you know, we as a lot experience the complications, the consequences of what happened there in the garden. And all of us, to one extent or another, some greater or some less, but all within the framework of it, because of our experience in living this life that's filled with sin at every turn, we experience toil and we experience pain continually. And Paul says, well, what we do then is we, we just glory in tribulation. Because what we know is that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. But when we were still in sin, Christ... He gave the ultimate sacrifice for us. Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, so here's generally the scenario for everybody. You live. What is my life? My life is toil and pain. With enough toil and pain, no matter how many years it is, some few, some many, but you live a life of toil and pain. And then ultimately, at the end, you die. Well, except this text tells us that, yeah, actually what we can do is we can glory in our tribulation, in our toil and pain, because as a child of God, we know something else is at work here. That that curse of death is set aside by someone who's going to take that curse for us. That would be Jesus. Now, the only way that that is made possible is going to be a little word that we're going to introduce now. And that is the word obedience. Remember, we were talking about the freedom that we have. The freedom that we have, if you boil it down, is either to obey or to disobey. In the garden, 
Eve chose to disobey, to eat of that fruit that God said don't eat of, and she reaped the consequences of that, which ultimately then infected all of humanity. All of us go through a life of toil and pain and future death, just as the scenario existed for them. However, Jesus has come to circumvent the curse of death, to set it aside, to die in our place. Freedom is responsibly received. My response to that is going to be obedience, and in that obedience, everything changes. In fact, think about Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4 in this respect. Live a life of toil and pain. We've had death set aside by the sacrifice of Jesus. The curse has been removed. And now it says that in death, God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, nor sorrow, no crying. There'll be no more pain. For the former things, those things have passed away. Freedom is also, for us, eternally available. I want you to think about another text that, to me, parallels the experience that Eve had there in the garden about decision. Do I obey? Do I disobey? If I obey, I'm going to be blessed. I have life. If I disobey, there is the curse of death. What do I choose? So many are like Eve in choosing death. Wait, what, what, what decision are you talking about? In Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, Jesus told his apostles to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. You see it already, don't you? Eve, if you obey, <coughs> you will have life right here in this garden. If you disobey, you'll be condemned. You will have death. And such ensued until God's remedy came, salvation through Jesus. Here in this text, that remedy is being promoted. So go and preach that gospel. You know, here is something that's going to remedy the curse. It is going to set people free from death. If they will believe and be baptized, they can be saved. But if, like Eve, if they refuse that, if they disobey, if they don't believe, he says, condemnation. Who would that be for? Well, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. That's everybody. Everybody is subject to this choice. You have the freedom to choose life or death, to choose salvation or condemnation. You have the right to choose. What do you choose? Well, anybody can make that choice. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, it's Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. Whoever you are, you have a right to make this choice. Now, some people looked at themselves and they said, I don't need that choice. I'm good. Jesus says that is... That is so wrong. In John chapter 8 and verse 32 beginning, very familiar passage to most of us, 
Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you or set you free. Now, some of the Jews who were standing there who heard this proclamation of Jesus said, whoa, wait a minute. You remember who you're talking to? We are Abraham's descendants. We have never been in bondage to anybody. We have never been a slave to anybody. Now, first of all, historically, that is so wrong. But let's just give them the benefit of the doubt. Okay, peace. You've never been a slave to anybody? Really? Jesus says that whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And don't you know that the slave doesn't dwell in the house forever? Only the son dwells in the house forever. So it's the son, if he says that you're free, you're free. Now that little conversation between Jesus and, well, let's just go by extension, the whole nation of Israel, that conversation that Jesus was having with them went something like this. I don't care who you are, Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, doesn't matter who you are, you have a choice to make. Do you choose to be saved or do you choose to be lost? You say, well, sorry, I'm in a special class, I'm already saved. Stop. Have you ever committed sin? If the answer is yes, then you're in the boat with the rest of us. And if you have committed sin, then the only way that that sin's going to be removed or forgiven is if the Son makes that possible. The Son being Jesus Himself. Which do we choose? Do we choose righteousness to life? Do we choose obedience to believe and be baptized as He commanded here? Or do we choose separation from God, condemnation, because we refuse Jesus? I mean, talk about freedom. That's what freedom is all about. And all of us have the freedom to make the choice of what we're going to do. Now, here's the thing that God has done, which I think is so extraordinary. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 27, the text there says that God's desire for all of us is that we will seek Him, even that we will grope for Him, though He is not very far from each one of us. In other words, God's desire is that in seeking Him, we'll we'll just set aside our own pride and we'll say, you know what? I I want the remedy. I want to be saved. I want to be with God. I I want to grope as though I were a blind man reaching out in the dark for something of substance. And as I'm groping and reaching out for Him, I find Him because the truth is He wasn't far from me to begin with. Once that transaction takes place, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1 says that we stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And then we're not to slip back or go back into that yoke of bondage. We have freedom to choose. Do I want to be saved or... Do I want to be lost? Now, you know what that means, what that implies. That is, come judgment. Come judgment. The pronouncement that's going to be made regarding whether or not I obeyed or I didn't obey, whether I chose life or chose death, is not going to be what God does to me. Now, God gave me the choice. God gave me 
He gave you the freedom to choose. Do I want to be saved or do I, don't want, do I want to be lost? God has given me the choice to make. So in the judgment, I do not look at God and I say, God, why are you sending me to condemnation? Why am I losing my soul? You chose that. You know, I gave you the freedom to choose. Isn't that what we all want? Freedom. You have freedom. You have freedom in this country. And we think our freedom is so important, so great, the benefits of being an American, that we say, even casually, that it is worth dying for. And and you know what? I, I believe that's true. Men and women have died and they will continue to die so that you and I can enjoy freedom. And I'm as grateful as anyone can be for that. But I'm telling you that there is a greater freedom that exists. It is the freedom to choose life over death. It is the freedom to choose to circumvent to get in the way of, through Jesus, the curse of death for sin. You sin. We might as well just admit the fact that we are all sinners. John said in 1 John chapter 1 that if we say we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. We are liars and we make God a liar. You are a sinner. I'm a sinner too. The only remedy for that is to make a different choice. Do I choose to remain in my sin to push off Jesus or do I choose freedom from sin? Jesus will bear that curse of death for you if you will believe that He is the Son of God, repenting, turning away from sin. Confess your faith to this number. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Be buried in water. Have your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus. You will rise in newness of life. This nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. This new birth of freedom is greater than anything anybody imagined except God Himself. And He made that possible through our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ. Choose Jesus today. And if you're ready to make that choice, why don't you come forward and acknowledge it while we stand together and sing. When Jesus comes to reward His servants, whether it be noon or night, faithful to Him will He find us watching with our lamps of trend and Say.
supper we'll sing just as I am O holy lamb it'll be on the screen it goes to the tune of just as I am to help us prepare Yeah. 
If you need a Lord's Supper emblem, if you would please raise your hand at this time, and one of the ushers will assist you. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, we read, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. This morning as we partake of the Lord's Supper, I want us to remember that it's because of our sins, because of our shortcomings, that Christ had to die that terrible death on the cross. We bow with you, please. Father, we are so thankful, so thankful for our freedom from sin that we have through your precious Son. Father, at this time we pray that we would remove the worldly thoughts from our mind and focus upon the cross, focus upon this bread, Lord, which represents that body that hung between heaven and earth, separated from you because of our sins. We pray, Father, we would take it in a way that would be worthy in your sight. In Christ's name, amen. Let's pray. Father, as we continue this remembrance, we, we think of that blood, that innocent blood that was shed on that cross, Father. We are so thankful. We are so in your debt, Father, for your giving your Son, your Son willingness to die for us. We pray, Father, as we take this fruit of the vine, we would all think about that blood. In Christ's name, amen. We now have the opportunity to give back to God. I pray that each and every one of us would examine our hearts and remember that every good blessing comes from Him. Will you bow with me, please? Father, we are so thankful to live in this nation that we live in, the freedoms we have, the, the abilities to make a living, Father. We pray, realizing that everything that we have is already yours, and we pray that we would give back in a way that we, with a cheerful heart. And, and we're so thankful for everything again, Father, but especially your precious Son. His name we do only pray. Amen. Just a few announcements this morning before we're dismissed. Uh, continuing with what Brother Ken said to our visitors, uh, you are indeed our honored guests, and we pray that we've conducted ourselves in a way that you would Come back at each and every opportunity that you may have. I do ask you at this time to please pass your friendship registers to the end of the row, and I ask the ushers to come at this time and to retrieve those, please. This morning we had 309 in our worship service. 
Uh, we have an extremely long list of those that we need to remember in, in our prayers. I will uh, direct your attention to our bulletins for, for that extended list. Horizons and FHU begins today. Please remember all these young people in your prayers and Brother Jordan as they go to uh, Freed Hardeman. The bus will leave from the TAC at 1 o'clock. Also a reminder that the Maywood camp fees are due now. It's $54 per camper, and they ask that you please go to the office to pay. I do have a card to read. With heartfelt appreciation, dear church family, thank you for all your prayers, calls, cards, and expressions of concern during the illness and passing of my brother, Ronnie Sarton. The beautiful pottery sent to me will always be a reminder of your love and kindness. Ronnie attended this congregation from his birth until he moved away after college and began work as a full-time minister. As a young man, he received much encouragement from members of the Boonville Church to preach the gospel, which he did for 70 years. Ronnie's work on this earth is now finished, but as Paul said in Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. In Christian love, Margaret Ann Sanders and family. That's all the announcements I have. If you would please stand, we'll be dismissed. But our loving and kind Heavenly Father, we are so thankful, Lord, for this opportunity you've given us this morning to, to gather together, to encourage one another, Father, but especially the opportunity to worship you. We pray that everything we've done this morning is for your glory and your honor, Father. We pray that everything was done in spirit and in truth. Father, we are so thankful for the freedom that we have in this country, but especially, Father, we're so thankful for the freedom we have from sin because of you and because of your Son, Father. We pray that you'll go with us, and we pray that you'll bring us back to the next appointed time. Father, we are so sorry for our shortcomings, and we pray for forgiveness. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.